forever, forever. So be encouraged by that. If you have your Bibles open to 1 John chapter 4, we're jumping in or back into going through 1 John for a message called God in Us. God in us. You've heard God with us. This is God in us. But first, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that we got to worship you through giving, through song, through teaching kids. Just We just want to highlight how amazing Jesus is, how amazing you are, what you've done for us. And so, Lord, we just want to highlight now the Holy Spirit and what his work is, what he is doing. And Father, I pray that you would help us to understand your word, help us to apply it to our lives. We love you, we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go, 1 John chapter 4. So it's been a little bit since we were in this passage. Let me just remind you that this is the Apostle John, the same one who wrote the book of John and the book of Revelation. He also wrote 1 John, and he is writing to combat some lies, some false teaching, some deception. So what it was, we're trying to kind of piece it together around 85 or 90 A.D., there was a church, we think that it was around Turkey, that uh, started within the church, there started to be some um, false teaching. So imagine this, imagine that we're that church, and here's kind of connecting the dots. Like there was a person sitting in the church, and let's say they were right here. They're in the church, and they're in there quite a while. Does this make you nervous right here? I'm right behind you, boys. Pay attention, pay attention. So there was a person in the church, and then they started to get led astray with some crazy doctrine. They started saying, wait a minute, is Jesus really who he says he was? And so they're in the church, and everybody loves this person. They're known. We think that there was like a teacher in that. Now, we're kind of we're guessing. We're looking at history, but we think that's what is being combated here. And so imagine that this person is in the church and then they start trying to get people to leave their church, leave this church, and they want to go establish something else. And they're calling into question the things that have first been taught by the apostles. They're saying, you know what, are you, are you sure about that? And wait a minute, I mean, are you sure that Jesus really was God? Are you sure that he really really came or was it just and they started introducing all of these lies and so John is writing to combat these lies and so we want to make sure just like these Christians that we understand our the word so that we are protected now you remember over and over and over in first John he talks about Love, 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 love. And so we've had multiple messages on love. And we've talked about what love is. You know, yes, love is gentle. Love is kind. But also love rejoices in the truth and it doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. So when someone says, hey, I want you to love me, say, yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. That's why I'm telling you that there's sin in your life. They're like, no, 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 you're supposed to love me. You're like, yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. The Bible says that I shouldn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoice in the truth. That's love. I'm trying to love you. And you're going to realize there's a disconnect because what they're trying to say is, no, 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 love me with my definition of love. And my definition is, let me do whatever I want and accept it. 
And you're like, oh, that's, where, that's why it wasn't making any sense. Because we have two completely different understandings of what love is. So we as Christians, we ascribe to God's explanation of what love is. And ultimately, we saw love is sacrificial. Because remember, John said, look at Christ. He demonstrated his love for us by laying down his life. Very sacrificial. And so that would be very encouraging to us, especially if we're always having to give of ourselves for other people. So let's look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we're going to focus on do not believe every spirit. Now, I'm going to add a little bit onto it. Or every salesman. We saw, we saw this movie called Secondhand Lions. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. But um, it's uh, the premise are these two old guys. And you don't exactly know, but it looks like they're really rich. And they got money. And they were like in Africa. And they had all these adventures. But now they're on this farm. And they sit on the front porch drinking sweet tea with their shotguns, kind of like some of you. And these salesmen, they come over and they try to sell these old rich guys something. And there was a salesman, it was a seed salesman, so it cuts to the scene, he opens up his trunk and he's selling them all these amazing seeds. He's like, yeah, we have tomatoes and this and this and bok choy and so they plant them, and they're all excited, and they're farmers, and they're just, you know, they've got these beautiful crops, and they're watching all this green stuff. And so then they have a tomato row, and then a bok choy row, and then another vegetable row. And then finally all the plants get to about this high. And one of them says, what row is this? Oh, that's tomatoes. And he says, and what about this row, oh, that's bok choy. And they look identical. And he said, you know what? The only row that makes sense is that row that says corn. Everything looks like corn. And then finally, one of them throws his stuff down, knows that he's been tricked, he's been duped, and he takes off. And so like us, we don't want to be deceived. We don't want to be tricked by a traveling salesman, or by a preacher on TV. We want to make sure that what we hear, what is proclaimed from God's word, can be proved. Now, here's the thing. Everything that I say, here's what your attitude should be. Rusty, I love you, but prove it. I love you, but prove it. Anyone that comes to your door, oh, man, that's awesome. I love you, but can you prove that? Anybody that comes to you in the name of the Lord, they need to be able to prove what they're saying is true. And so when I'm preaching and when I'm proclaiming God's word, I'm trying to prove to you that it does say what I am saying that it says. And so I want you to understand, even though you might love me, you have to still say, okay, Rusty, but help me. I can't really see you connecting those dots. So, let's connect some dots. We're going to focus on do not believe every spirit. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Now, we have used this example. Poor Eve. Poor Eve. We use her as an example quite a bit. I'm going to read to you a 
Deception. Someone who has deceived. I mean, think about all the time that you've been deceived and imagine that if someone wrote it down and then we all preached on it and we're like, let me tell you about Danita. Turn to Janice. Now, Danita, she got tricked. I mean, that would be kind of embarrassing. But hey, here's Eve. Here we go. Verse one. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, did God actually say, you shall not eat any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Okay, so here's the first point that we want to see here is that test the spirits to see whether they are from God. We want to make sure that whoever is talking to us, look in that verse 1, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God. We need to make sure that whoever is proclaiming God's word, whether it be on TV or whether it be from this pulpit or let's say you're visit, visiting Destin, Florida, and you go to a church, make sure that they are preaching the word of God and you test, you test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Look at that. It says, for many, if you're an underliner or a highlighter, you can underline or highlight the word many. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, I have a question for you. As followers of Jesus Christ, what should be a large focus of our lives? What should be a large focus of our lives? I mean, because we are a very, very busy people. And if we're so busy, we want to make sure that we are busy with something that we really should be busy with. So my question is, when I say that, what should be a large focus of our lives? What comes to mind? You don't need to say it, but just think of something. You think, yeah, you know what? That actually is, is a large focus of my life. I want to I want to say this. I think that a large focus of our lives should be to teach others how to follow Jesus. Now you could you could do that in so many different ways. I mean, our God is so amazing and he's created you to be very creative on how to do that. That could happen a lot of different ways. And men, that can actually happen on the golf course. Clay, that's for you. That can happen in so many different areas. Let me prove it to you. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, or 19 through 20. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We as a church are called to go into all the world, preach God's word, and disciple people. And here's the thing. I think you guys are doing awesome. So just, just understand you're doing great. And you know how I know that? Because look at all the kids that you guys are training up and discipling to follow Christ. I mean, think about it. Your kids are with you a lot of time and you're driving from one location to the next location. Man, you could put uh, some Christian music on. You're just constantly telling them who Christ is. You bring them here. Look at all these kids that are up here. You guys are doing awesome. And so that is a huge focus of your life. That's a huge focus of your life. Look at verse 2. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Is from God. Now, if there's many false prophets who have gone out into the world, verse 2, it's telling us this. How do we see who's of God and who's not of God? Well, there's multiple checks. This just isn't the only one. If they pass this one, it doesn't mean that anything else they say is true. But this is the first big one. Let me read it again. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, first, I want to show you where it says, by this you know the Spirit of God. If you notice, that word Spirit is capitalized. That's talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're new to Christianity, I don't want to just fly over this and assume that everybody under here understands what I'm talking about. So, let's explain who the Holy Spirit is. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, not 1 John, John. John 1, 1 through 5. So what we're trying to look at here is who is this? And then actually, let me prove this first. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's even more important. I mean, that's the first point. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Look at verse 14 of that same chapter. And the word, so we're trying to figure out what, what that is. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The God-man, Jesus Christ. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so let me connect these dots. What the Bible is saying here is that Jesus Christ is the word, and we figure out that the word is God. So when we find out who the word is, then we'll know who God is. Verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus Christ. So understanding that John is proving that Jesus is the Christ, fully God, fully man, 
When you jump back to 1 John chapter 4, verse 2, it says that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So there are people that say this, that Jesus Christ is not God, that he was just a really, really awesome guy. And so if someone knocks on your door and they say, hey, I just want to tell you about Jesus, how what a nice and awesome guy he was. But if they deny that he was or is God, what you would want to do is you would want to take them to John chapter one. And you want to prove to them that God, that Jesus is God. So putting all that into context, let me read verse two with that knowledge. By this, you know, the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So if someone knocks on your door or if you get one of those tracks in the mail and it denies Jesus, that is not of God. That is of the Antichrist against God. Look at verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Okay, so every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now, let me read this quote to you to explain that Antichrist. Quote, Antichrist is used in the Bible only by John. It describes three things. One, a spirit in the world that opposes or denies Christ. Two, the false teachers who embody this spirit. And three, a person who will lead up the final world rebellion against Christ. Okay, so we know that the one who denies Jesus is part of the Antichrist against Christ. And so now I know sometimes we don't want to say such strong things against people that we love that might be in other religions. But here's the thing. The text is very, very clear. It says this, that if you deny that Jesus is the Christ, is the Savior of the world, if you deny that he came in the flesh, then you are of the Antichrist, the Antichrist. And you can say, well, Rusty, man, that, that's, uh, that's pretty harsh. Well, here's the thing. It would be harsh if it wasn't true. But since it is true, it's a very loving thing to explain. It's a very loving thing to explain. Because we want people to know the truth. So when you are explaining to someone that might be a different religion, be gentle with them. The Bible talks about correcting in gentleness. We want to love them, but we also want to explain that Jesus is the Christ, fully God, fully man, and that there's no salvation, there's no forgiveness of his sins except through Jesus. Look at verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I got ahead of myself earlier. I was excited about this part. But this is where I want to look at the Holy Spirit. So turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Now, those of you who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, you already understand who the Holy Spirit is. You have a biblical view of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to take that hat off 
and look at this with fresh eyes, maybe with the same eyes that someone in here is looking at this with. They don't know what I'm talking about when I say the Holy Spirit. And so let's walk through this. And here's what we need to look at. Because in verse 4, it says, you are from God and have overcome them. So it's to be an encouragement. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So that's saying this. Saint, set apart one, Christian. If you are his, God the Holy Spirit is in you. God the Holy Spirit is in you. Greater is he that is in you than the Antichrist that is in the world. So let's pause. I just want to first encourage you, no matter what you're thinking about, if you're thinking about, man, I want to be a missionary, but what if I go over there and, man, there's some really huge opposition? Well, Saint, if God's called you there, hold on to this verse, because greater is he who is in you than who is he who is in the world. And guess what, saint? There's nothing that can happen to you unless the Lord allows it to happen. Now, I chose those words very, very carefully. Nothing can happen to you unless the Lord allows it, but he doesn't cause it. There's some things that, that are very tragic. And we think, wait a minute, the Lord made that happen? No, 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 the Lord allowed that to happen. There's a huge difference. Look at Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 5. So what the point of this is that we want to see this, this trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We want to understand who is it that is in us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now just go to verse 26 of that same chapter 1 in Genesis. Then God said, let us, 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 make man in our image after our likeness. Saint, if you need proof for the triune God, it's right here. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So we see that the Trinity is established in the Old Testament. Now, turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 15. This is Jesus comforting the disciples. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and the Father. And, let's see, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
Notice this, that they don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit like we do today at that time because Jesus had not died yet and the helper, the Holy Spirit, had not been sent. Okay, so let's connect the dot into where the big change took place for us. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly they came from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Saying, here's the thing, when you read this, you think you should be so excited. Okay, awesome. I could see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit coming. And then in Acts, the Holy Spirit came and it filled those that followed Christ. And then 1 John is saying, For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Saint, if you ever worry about all the craziness or demonic attacks, I don't know if you've ever been around someone that had a demon or you were a little bit nervous. The Bible says here that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let me tell you a little story. I, um, I used to work at called the Bakersfield Rescue Mission. And so what this was, was it's a place for men to come in recovery. There was a one-year discipleship program for men and women. But for just the people that, that were there overnight was just men. And I'm telling you, it's scary. It's, it was in a very sketch neighborhood. And here's little old Rusty. You know, I... I didn't grow up in that like a really rough area, but the Bakersfield Rescue Mission is in a rough area. And the thing is, is that a lot of these guys get into drugs or alcohol and they open themselves up to some things that are pretty scary. And there was a guy and I was the one that was on staff or on call at the time. And this one guy got in a fight with another guy. And so I knew that me, I had to go over and tell this guy that got in the fight that he's going to have to leave the mission. Now, this guy was ripped, and I thought he was demon-possessed. So now we got a ripped, demon-possessed man at the mission, and I have to go over there and talk to this guy. But guess what, Saint? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Now, when God calls you to do something, if he's called you to do it, you just remind yourself, Lord, this is scary. But greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Okay? Now, spoiler I didn't die. God ended up showing himself strong, and it was amazing. And I went over to the guy, and I knelt down, and I said, hey, uh, <clears throat> you know I'm a Christian, right? Because I wanted to establish if there was a demon in this man that I belong to the king. And he said, I know you are. I thought, praise God. I said, how do you know I am? He said, because you have love. Now, saints, the Bible says that we are known by our love one for another. 
We're known. So even in that demon world, they know, hey, you know what? Greater is he who is in that Christian than he who is in the world. They know. There's, there's no such thing as an atheist demon. They all have correct theology. They know who's in charge. And that should bring you great comfort to know, hey, listen, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So no matter what God calls you to do, God's got you. Look at verse 5 as we wrap this up. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, what he's saying is, we're from God and whoever listens to us is of God. So in your heart, if you ever struggle with, Lord, am I, am I yours? Well, I guess my question is, do you listen to God? When you read his word, do you debate with God all the time or do you submit to his word? Because here, we're going to know who are God's and who aren't by those that listen to God. They listen to his word. And what that means is that that's not just listening and then go do whatever. No, that's listening with a changed life. And we've seen earlier in these different chapters with weeks past is that a Christian cannot go on perfecting sin. They just can't. It's, it doesn't work. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it, it means that we're not going to continue trying to perfect sin. And so my thing is here, we should all be challenged. Every message should be challenged. And so my challenge to you as we conclude, do you listen to God's word? When God says, this is truth, do you say amen and amen? When God said, this is sin, do you say, I agree with that? Do you listen to God's word? Or do you make excuses for God? When someone gets you into a corner, I don't know if you've ever been backed into a corner, where you're somewhere and you are backed into a corner and they have got you, you're there, and they want to know if their lifestyle is sin. They want you to tell them, you tell me, is it sin for me to... And you're in a corner and you realize that you can't get out of it by asking a question. Well, what's sin to you? You can't like get a phone message. Oh, man, I got to go. You're in a corner. So the question is, are you going to listen to God? Are you going to love that person by proclaiming his truth? Because the Bible says that Christians love. What is love? Love is telling the truth. So we should all be challenged when someone gets us in a corner. It might be a corner on a Twitter post or on a Facebook post or over there at the school parking lot or at the PTA meeting. But someone's going to get you in a corner. And the question is, are you going to listen to God and are you going to proclaim his word? I pray that you do. I expect that you will. We want to be a church that loves people and we show our love by telling the truth. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You are amazing.
Lord, you love us. This message is encouraging, but should be a little bit scary. If anyone is not walking with you. And so, Father, I pray that you would afflict the comforted and comfort the afflicted. Lord, if anyone is comfortable in their sin, Lord, I pray that you would afflict them. But, Lord, if there are those that need to be encouraged and just held gently and they're struggling, but they love you, they know it's wrong, Lord, I pray that you would deal with them kindly and gently, mercifully, graceful. Bless them, Father. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time as we're going to have a time of invitation. Lord, I'm going to call people to, to come to you. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here that needs to respond to you, that you would just stir their hearts right now and that they would come to you. Even as I'm talking, they would just say, Lord, I want you. I need you. And then, Father, as we have a time of communion, I pray that uh, we would be able to confess our sins and be right as we take that cup and that bread. Lord, just be with us in all that we do. We ask it in Jesus' name.